Well, I'm always fascinated to see uh, when the Bible and um, the truth of the gospel begins to kind of get out there into the marketplace. And so I was fascinated a couple of weeks ago to go and watch the film, uh, The Tree of Life. So I'm just going to show you a brief movie trailer of it, hopefully. There are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. We're alligators. You'll be grown before that tree is tall. It takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things ever more when you don't can accomplish. I've just always wanted you to be strong. Be your own man. perplexes you, you should watch two and a half hours of it. <laughs> it, 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 it. You know, if you like going out to movies and watching all action, thrills and spills, Iron Man, Transformers, this is not the movie for you. It is definitely a work of art, and, uh, but it is a fascinating thing as it portrays, as it says on the outset, this, this two pathways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. And Sean Penn plays this character uh, of a man who looks back on his early years and he's, and he's just plagued really by the loss of his younger brother who died. And he looks back at his life and he wrestles with being raised up in this family with a kind of a harsh father who represents, I guess, the way of nature and a loving mother who represents, I guess, the way of grace. And he wrestles with this experience as he looks back and he remembers the early years of when he just saw life as just wonderful and great and then also what happened the darkness that began to be revealed in his own life where he would use his own power uh, to kind of hurt his younger brother and to damage other people's property and to steal things and why did why was it that he did the things that he did not want to do and I, I think it's a fascinating movie for that reason. Because I think it's actually dealing with themes that we all see at different points in our lives. Each one of us are capable of beauty, of creativity, of, of loving acts. And yet also there's a darkness in us, isn't it? That, that, that we are capable of being spiteful and selfish and unloving. 
and indifferent. And there is this tension point uh, about who we are as people. Why is it that we have both these things wrestling inside of us? And is there any hope for us? Well, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, well, actually, he's not a friend. I know him well. He's the, he's the half-brother of one of my best friends. His name is James. He's 47 years old. And um, he's at a stage in his life where he's beginning to look back on his life. And he feels like it's not really added up to much. At the age of 13, he ran away from a difficult home and ended up living on the streets in Seattle. And from 13 onwards, he learned from the tough knocks of life. In fact, he probably committed nearly every crime there is to commit except murder. It took him on a pathway into addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs. Uh, he saw the inside of police cells. He saw the inside of prisons. Uh, he has been married four times. And he's currently separated from his fourth wife, although he's really trying to work hard to, to save that marriage. Um, as I say, he's, he's looking back on his life and he's just wondering, well, what, 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 what is this all about? Why, why have I done the things that I've done? And he, and he looks at his, his half-brother, Russ, and sees a different sort of life. I mean, Russ went to college. He married his girlfriend. He's still married to her. They've got kids. They've got a steady life. But the real change he noticed was when Russ became a Christian nine years ago. Something changed for Russ. And his marriage got sweeter. Uh, he seemed to have more joy, more purpose, and it intrigued him. And eventually, Russ invited um, his, his brother to come and do a Christianity Explored course in his home with other people. And what fascinated him, it was not just that he was learning more about what the Bible had to say and learning more about Jesus, but he was noticing the way that those who led the course were very open about the fact that they were sinners, that they had done wrong and, and confessed their own hypocrisies. And this struck him. And so when Russ invited him to come to church, he felt very anxious about that. He didn't know what that was going to be like. But because he was intrigued by what he saw, he did start coming along to church. And there he witnessed people who seemed to genuinely love and care for each other. It was a new thing for him. And what amazed him even more was the welcome that they gave him. People seemed genuinely interested in him and genuinely interested in his welfare. And it, it, it was stunning to him. But he wrestled. Even as he heard the, the message preached week by week, that as, it, as if the sermons were just to him, he wrestled, how could this message of forgiveness of sins really be true for him? It took months and months and months. And finally... He asked Jesus to forgive him for his sins and to make him new. And, and he's begun a, an amazing journey. His life has begun to change. Uh, slowly, his home is getting purged of pornography. Uh, things are getting thrown out, other things that were part of his temptation of, of his former life. He's come off the drugs. He's sort of trying to go to the bar less. Things are beginning to change in his life. But do you know what? Uh, he, he talks about being at church. When he's at church, he feels 
surrounded by his brothers and sisters, he says he feels like a silverback gorilla. He feels strong and powerful. But actually when he goes away from church into his normal life, sort of the darkness can come back to him and he thinks to himself, how can I possibly deserve this forgiveness? How could I possibly deserve this loving Christian family? I, I don't really deserve this. And he wrestles with this weight of his sin from his past. Because that's how he looks at his past. He used to brag about his past, and now he just sees it's just an awful weight of sin. And he, and it, and he wrestles with it, and it makes him really uh, quite depressed at times. Now, what does the Bible have to say? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're visiting this morning, we're working through this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus. It's probably a circular letter that went to a range of churches that were planted from this church in Ephesus as well. And we've arrived in chapter 2, page 1174. Page 1174 in the church Bibles. And if you want God to speak to you, why don't we just take a moment to pray before we read. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That you've revealed yourself to us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this book where we can know you. Where we can understand ourselves and be saved. And so we ask now that you would open the eyes of our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us wisdom and insight that we would know you better. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. To do. This is God's word. You might want to keep your Bibles open. We're just going to keep working through this chapter. 
Uh, John Stott, who died two weeks ago, and uh, for whom we're so thankful to God that he left over 50 books so we can continue learning from him. John Stott, in his, um, his book, his commentary on this section, says that these verses plumb the depths of pessimism about man and then climb the heights of optimism in God. And I just think that is a beautiful summary of these 10 verses. It plumbs the depths of pessimism about man, but the heights of optimism in God. And what we have in these verses is, in a sense, a portrayal of what we are by nature and what we can be by grace. What we are by nature and what we can be by grace. And there are two things that I want to just kind of draw out from this section. Two main things that I believe that this passage is, is telling us about the Christian. That is someone who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a believer in the Lord Jesus. And here are two things that we need to grab hold of. Firstly, that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. Have a look at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. What is the Bible about? Well, this is a book from God that tells us about God, but it is a book that tells us about salvation. Christians go on about the gospel of the Lord Jesus because it is about how we can be saved. And so you might say to yourself, well, saved from what? What is this message of salvation about? Saved from what? Well, that's what the first three verses are all about. They're telling us what we are as human beings by nature. And it is a brutal description. There, there is more to say about man. Uh, man is both the glory and the garbage of the universe, according to the Bible. But look at the pessimism. Look at this. This is the brutal, honest diagnosis of man in the first three verses. And it says a number of things about the state of man. First of all, we are dead. Look at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's the first thing it says about us by nature. We are dead. You say, well, how can this be so? I mean, I look out there and I see these fit athletes training for the Olympics. They look very much alive. Or I look to the academy and various writers and I see the intellectual um, vitality that people have, their creativity. You walk around Edinburgh right now and you see thousands of people who are incredible creative types through drama, through sculptures, through art, all desperately trying to flog you tickets to, uh, for them to, to show you what they've got. And, and are we saying that they're dead? That's what the Bible's diagnosis is. Yes. We are dead, spiritually dead. In the most fundamental way, in terms of our relating to God, we're like a corpse. In the most fundamental way, we might have all this uh, physical health, mental ability, and creativity, but actually when it comes to God, we are unresponsive to God. We do not live as though God were there. We do not give grateful thanks to the God who has given us all things. We don't live in a way that uh, wants to please him or live for him. We are unresponsive. We are spiritually 
dead. And that is why the Bible says we will one day physically die. We're dead. More than that, it says that we are enslaved. And you'll see that in verse 2 and 3. We're enslaved. We're enslaved to what? Well, we're enslaved, first of all, verse 2, to the world in which, it says, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The Bible portrays us by nature almost to be like zombies. We're kind of walking around. We're spiritually dead. We're walking around, but we're not sort of um, just wonderfully independent people who do whatever we want. We actually walk around following what everybody else is doing in the world. We're enslaved to the values and the system of this world. And, uh, you know, we could, we could spend a whole week exploring that, couldn't we? Uh, the way that this world kind of lifts up materialism. Uh, having as much stuff as you can will really make you happy. And so we really buy into this, and so we go pursuing this. We live for more stuff. And that's why everyone's freaked out that the economy's shrinking. What are we going to do? We won't be able to get as much stuff. And that's what life's about. Or we think about the way our culture elevates beauty. That actually, if you're beautiful, then that is the key to life. That's what will really transform you. And we live in such a weird world that we take supermodels, who by all definition are kind of one of the most beautiful things out there, and and we airbrush them. Even they're not beautiful enough. You have to airbrush the blemishes off supermodels to sell products for cosmetic companies. And so we have girls who struggle with anorexia and bulimia because we've got messed up values and we're all following the ways of this world. Or a society that tells us that that, that there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute morality. And yet still wants to get upset when a guy goes out and shoots children on an island in Norway. And the Bible says we're spiritually dead and we're enslaved to the ways of the world, but we're enslaved to other things too. Do you see what it says in verse 2? We're enslaved not only by following the ways of this world, but verse 2, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The Bible is unashamed about this, that behind the, the physical scene of what we can see, there are spiritual realities and that there is an evil person called Satan and his angels. And their work is actually to inspire and promote evil. Uh, Jesus speaks of the devil as the one who is a murderer from the beginning. The, The one who lies, who's the father of lies. And he's at work to try and bespoil God's beautiful creation, to mar the beauty of God's glory and to destroy lives. How else do you explain a guy like Brevik in Norway? An intelligent man, and yet a man full of hate. Why so much hatred that would go out and set up a bomb and go and kill so many people? Well, what's, you know, the, the, the press is struggling to, 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 to describe it, and we just have to use words like evil. And there's a big debate. Is there such a thing as evil? Well, the Bible says yes. And although this man is absolutely accountable for his actions, I personally believe behind that, inspiring and flaming that, is, is the devil. And we are the puppets of the devil. We're not talking about Satan worshippers here, uh, although there are people out there that do sort of weird things and think they're Satan worshippers. It's saying that's what we all, we're all were like by nature. 
enslaved to the ways of this world and enslaved to the devil. But thirdly, the third enslavement is there in verse 3. All of us, note that, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. All of us were like that. Just basically following whatever our desires wanted. Uh, the, the foolish way of thinking, we just follow that way. You see, it's not just outside of us the problem. The problem is inside of us. It is this darkness that's within us. I mean, we see this most clearly when people are struggling with addiction. Again, you know, the tragedy of Amy Winehouse, as you see somebody who thinks, well, I, I can use alcohol, I can use drugs to get me high, to, I can, they'll, be, they'll serve me, and you end up being mastered by them. That the drugs will take you and degrade you and take you down to the grave, that alcohol will take you there if it becomes your master and rules over you. Whenever they pick up these people who've been involved in pornography, uh, abusive rings, they don't just have one image, do they? They have thousands of images. Enslaved by insatiable lust. Decreasing depravity. Now, it is a very sober picture of, of human nature, isn't it? But this is what the Bible says. We are dead in our transgressions and our sins that we have chosen to uh, take, ignore God's word. We've chosen to ignore God's standard. That there's something about us that sort of sees a path and sees two beautiful green lawns either side and sees a sign that says, do not walk on the grass, walk on the path. And what do we want to do? We want to walk off the path because that we have this perverseness in our nature. We are rebels. We want to transgress from God's law. And even when we try and do good things, we fall short of that. We are rebels and we are moral failures. We are dead in those things and we are like zombies. We uh, just follow the ways of this world. We follow the impulses that Satan puts in our way and we follow our own sinful nature, our flesh. This is how church uh, people down through history have spoken of the challenge of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the third thing it says about our state there is in verse, at the end of verse 3, that we are condemned. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. All of this sin, this transgression, this following the ways of this world, following our own sinful nature, our selfishness, it puts us under God's condemnation. God's wrath is settled against us. We're condemned by God. Now, I, I, I would struggle to think of a better place in Scripture for pointing out the most pessimistic view of man. Here it is in three verses. And that's why it is such an incredible thing to get to verse 4. This is why it's such a wonderful thing to get to verse 4. And actually, in the original language, it starts off with two words, but God. But God. See, our hope, as we look at our fallenness and the depravity of man in this world, is not that one day we're going to discover some magic pill that's going to make us all sweetness and light. It is not a scientific discovery that we're going to find. 
It is not some educational achievement that suddenly we're going to reach, uh, our kids will reach a certain educational level and all these problems of society will go, will go away. It is not some great leap forward in philosophy or understanding that's going to take us there. There's only pessimism in man. The hope that we have in the Bible is all in God, but God. We're not a depressed people as Christians. I hope you realize this. Uh, we're a happy people. Did you see us singing songs? We're a happy people, but our optimism is not in ourselves. It is in God, but God. You see, we were dead, but God, it says in verse four, uh, verse 5, made us alive with Christ. We were dead, but God made us alive with Christ. We were enslaved. We were ruled over by all these authorities and powers. But God, verse 6, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Instead of being those ruled over and enslaved by these powers, we have been raised with Christ who rules over all things. God has done that. God has brought about that transformation. And we were under the wrath of God. We were condemned. But God saved us by his grace. It is amazing change and transformation that we have in this passage. What we are by nature and what we can be by grace. By God's grace. But God did this. And the question is, well, why? Why did God do this? Well, what reasons does it give us in the text? Look at verse 4. Why did God do this? Any takers? My throat's getting dry, so any takers? Because of his love. Isn't that amazing? Why did God do this? Because of his great love for us. Why did God do this? Well, because God, verse 4, is rich in mercy. And if you look at verse 7, why did God do this? Well, because of his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Our hope is in the character of God. A God who is loving. A God who is merciful. A God who is kind. And the Bible has a word that kind of sums up this love, this mercy, this kindness. And here's the word, grace. Because of his grace, we are saved by grace. See, what James needs to understand and what we need to keep reminding ourselves as Christians, as we think to ourselves, how could I deserve this? What does the Bible have to say? You don't. We don't deserve this. We don't. We are saved by grace. And that's what James needs to understand. James, you, you're racked with all these things. How, I, I, mean, I look at my past, I'm ashamed. Yes, but you've been saved by grace. Do you see what it goes on to say in verse 8? This is not from yourselves. 
this salvation is not self-originated. It's not something that we achieve. It is a gift from God. Do you have to buy gifts when they're given to you? I mean, you buy gifts for other people, but for yourself? No. God gives us a gift. It's freely given. What do you do to deserve a gift? Nothing. Nothing. It is by grace you've been saved. So he says this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, verse 9. And it's not by works. We do not by our human achievement earn this salvation. Um, We cannot make ourselves worthy of it. We cannot by religious achievement earn it. Uh, We're not saying, you know what, if you come to church regularly, um, I don't know, if you say prayers several times a day, if you give uh, money regularly, if you go on pilgrimage, if you do this, if you do that, you know, you might get yourself in a slot where God might consider saving you. That's not the message of the gospel. This is why it's very good news. It's not by works. It's not by becoming a great philanthropist, someone who gives away your money, who does extravagant things that that, that makes yourself worthy of God saving you. No, the point is, if we really understand verses 1 to 3, we are hopelessly lost. We are spiritually dead. Corpses can't do anything. We're totally enslaved. We cannot free ourselves. We are condemned under the wrath of God. There is nothing that we can do. Salvation has to be totally of God and of His grace. And I think as Christians, if we've lived for many, many years, we can sometimes forget this. And we can look at our changed lives and um, actually say, well, actually, I'm pretty good. Um, You know, I'm not like other people. I can see these people, pity these other people. Um, Look at me, I, I go to church regularly, I, I, I give, I tithe, I, I do this. God owes me. And what we need to remember is what? We are saved by grace. Our works do not achieve anything in this. Our works do not add to this salvation. God does not owe us anything. Actually, we owe Him everything, don't we? We are saved by grace. Now look, how does it become ours? Well, what does it say in verse 8? How does it become ours? Through faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is through putting our trust in God and His gospel. It is putting our trust specifically in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith unites us to Christ. Now, have you ever been on an airplane? Uh, It is a remarkable thing to get on an airplane, isn't it? Um, You exert an incredible amount of faith to get on an airplane. Look at that. Have you seen how heavy that thing is? Have you seen how big it is? Have you seen how thin it is? 
Have you seen how the, the wings go up and down and flap a lot with those heavy engines? You, you exert a lot of faith as you go in and strap yourself into a seat that's going to go sort of tens of thousands of feet above the ground at incredible speeds. You're putting faith that they've done regular maintenance checks, haven't you? You're trusting they've had a good look over this one. Uh, they've checked for fatigue and stress. You, you, you're having faith that the engines are going to work. You're going to have faith in the pilot. You're going to have faith in the air traffic controller that he's not on a, having a doze, you know, as he sends up two planes at the same time. Amazing amount of faith. They try and freak you out, don't they? Have you noticed that? They shut the doors and then they say, now look, if we crash, this is what you've got to do. What? I'm trusting my life with this plane. But here's the exciting thing. If you put your faith in that plane, wherever the plane goes, you go. Right? So Mike and Helen will, uh, will, will, will get in an airplane, I presume at some stage, and will be flying back to Cairo. Now, how do I know if Mike and Helen will arrive back in Cairo? Well, all I need to know is, did they get on the plane in Heathrow, wherever it is, and did the plane land? Because if the plane landed, they got there, didn't they? Now, this is what... Paul is pointing us to here. Our salvation is through faith in trusting what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Okay? We are made alive with Christ. When Jesus lived this perfect life that we couldn't live and died on the cross in the, in, in the place of sinners, died to pay the penalty that our sin and our transgression deserved, and when he was buried, and then God uh, chose to accept the perfect sacrifice of his son, that, his sins, that our sins are fully paid for, he raised him from the dead. And if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus who was raised from the dead, we receive the benefits of his resurrection life. We receive the forgiveness that he achieved for us. Our new life is the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God raised Christ and seated him in the heavenly places through faith in him, that's exactly where we are with Christ. No longer do we have to be enslaved to the dictates of this world. No longer do we have to be enslaved by what the devil tells us to do or what our, our sinful desires want to push us. There is a new power at work and it is the resurrected life of Christ in the believer. We are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? The second thing that we need to get, and this is a much shorter point, lest you be anxious, is that we are made for good works. Do you see that in verse 10? See, at the end of the section, there's two fours. Verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved. And verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do right good works do they save us answer 
No. No, good works do not save us. Does that mean that the Christian uh, is no longer interested in good works? No. We are made for good works. These good works could never save us. In fact, we're incapable, genuinely, of doing true good works. They weren't self-serving in some way. But God has done something brand new. We are God's workmanship. We are a new creation in Christ. There's lots of exhibitions on right now in, in Edinburgh. It's a fascinating place to be. We went to see the David Mack exhibition on Friday uh, on the King James Bible, Precious Light, he called it. Very interesting, very intriguing. And when you look at works of art, um, you look at the, the subject for a while and you think about it, but then your mind then goes to something else, doesn't it? It goes to thinking about the creativity and ingenuity of the artist. And so actually when you go to um, art galleries, the big deal is who painted this? Who sculpted this? Uh, as much as you're enjoying looking at it, the big deal is that this was by Rubens, or um, you get the idea. Well, guess what? There is going to be an exhibition that is going to go for, on for all eternity. And the exhibits are those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are God's workmanship. We are his work of art. And do you know what the exhibition is going to be called for all eternity? It's there in verse 7. It's going to be called this, The Incomparable Riches of His Grace. That's what it's going to be called. The Incomparable Riches of God's Grace on display uh, to the whole universe as, as, it, as, it, as, as, as God's amazing love, mercy, kindness, grace is displayed in the way he takes rebel sinners and lifts them up to be people who can display his glory. Reflect the character of God to the world. My Christian friends, do you know what is true of you today? You are saved by grace and you are made for good works. You're made for good works. There is a reason for getting out of bed tomorrow and it's more than just earning another pound to pay the tax man, right? You are made for good works. We can live our lives, our everyday lives, in our human relationships, in our family, in our workplace, in our hobbies and sports, and, and we can do it all in a way that actually reflects the glory and the character of God. Just like James could see a difference uh, in his brother changed by the gospel and it attracted and drew him just as James is starting to change and reorientate his life dramatically. James needs to hear, my friend, don't be in despair. You are saved by God's grace. Do you know what? He has made you a new creature in Christ and he's made you to do good things in this world for his glory. It is an amazing thing what God has done. What would Jesus say to us today? He would say this, In me, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The old is gone. Well, what are the options today? Well, we can choose not to believe that. 
And uh, we can think, well, actually, it's all about me. It's all about my works. I'm going to keep working away to try and uh, gain myself approval and acceptance with God. I'm going to work away at that. That's what saves me. And do you know where that will take you? It will take you into two places. It will either take you into total despair as you look at how far short you fall, or it will take you into awful pride as you actually decide, actually, uh, look at me, I'm, I'm morally superior to those people. I don't take drugs. I pay my taxes. I do this, I do that. I go to church. I'm an elder. I'm this, I'm that. And, and it becomes about our works. It becomes about me. Two ways we can fall off this, isn't it? Where we don't listen to what God has to say. Both equally tragic and ugly. Despair and awful pride. Or we can listen to what God has to say to us here. And rejoice in this truth. We may well be reminded and think. In fact, the devil delights to remind us. The devil tells us, we'll, we'll whisper in our ears, you're not good enough. Have you heard him whisper that in your ear? You're not good enough. You're not, you've not really changed. God doesn't love you. He can also whisper in your ear, you are good enough. You're great. Keep up living for yourself. Equally, he can do that. But we should reject the devil on both counts. When he says you're not good enough, what's the answer? You're right. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. This is what I am by nature. Dead, enslaved, condemned. But God in his grace and mercy has done this for me. And my hope and my optimism for my life is based solely in who God is and what he's done for me in Jesus Christ. And I'm a new creation. And I'm going to go out today and live for his glory. I've got things to do. God's got things for me to do today. Do you think God's got things for you to do today? I can hardly get it out. I'm so excited. <laughs> da 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 You know, tomorrow morning, Monday morning feeling... Get out of bed and say, God's got things for me to do today. Do you know what? The difference is being self-focused and God-focused. We always go wrong when we get self-focused. But when we realize we're here to draw attention to the artistry, the grace, the workmanship of God in our lives, then we've got a great reason to get out each day and live for his glory and I don't know how you remind yourself about this, but actually on, on the way out in my hallway, I was given this a while back. And so as I, as I walk through the hallway and head out the day, I look at this and it reminds me, be amazed by grace. You're not good enough, Paul. Yeah, I know. I'm only here by God's grace. It's amazing. I can't believe he made me a pastor. If you, if you knew this, this of sinful struggles in my life, you'd never have me a pastor in a million years. If I knew your sinful struggles, you'd never be a member in this church, right? <laughs> Amazed by grace. Saved by grace. Made for good works. Let's pray, shall we?